my addiction that if, I, if caffeine is withheld, I develop a blinding headache, a pounding headache, which nothing can shift. Some people say that I have a problem. I just say, shh, coffee, coffee. But I, can't, I don't want to labour this point because it's a dedication service. And some of you may know that Paul and Sarah are expecting twins. <laughs> so from my experience, two kids, easy, three, maybe, we're twins. Just good luck, really. Um, so I don't want to dwell on that. But what are we really talking about? Why do we drink coffee? It's a bit of a, an obscure, kind of silly topic, really, unless we expand it out. And really what we're talking about is why do we have a kind of social responsibility? What does Scripture and what does our faith say about our work in the community, about being social? And if we're honest, I think there's a huge discord There's a huge discord between what we think we should be doing, because we should be nice people, we kind of get that, we don't want to make very many enemies, and what we believe. Because we we talk about what we should do and about the love of God and Christ, and yet we hold on to some pretty clunky theology, if we're honest. So we have this whole sacrificial theology. So what I am going to do is I want to very quickly look at... Uh, at why perhaps we should believe we shouldn't drink coffee, why we should simply focus on getting souls into heaven and getting people to say the prayer, and then we'll challenge that and maybe consider why drinking coffee is not such an unbiblical approach and how there might just be a biblical mandate for a brew. So we've got that hope to hold on to. Every talk... Every little bit of wisdom should have a little bit of advice from this guy. This is King Julian. Just more diamonds and gold. Okay, don't give up hope. Listen up. I will help you. There's only one way to get your precious water. I, your beloved King Julian, must simply make a small sacrifice to my good friends, the water gods. In the volcano. What does that do? What does that do? Excellent question. My sacrifice goes in the volcano. Then the friendly gods eat up my sacrifice. Mmm, very nice. Thank you for the sacrifice. Please have another sacrifice. No, I've had enough for the day. Listen, I'm going to be very uncertain unless you have another. I don't want another sacrifice, okay? Look at you, you look skinny. Don't think I've had enough, not clear? The gods eat the sacrifice. They are grateful. They give me some of their water. And then I give it to you. What? Does it work? No. I mean, yes. Uh, well, Maurice? Yeah, it's 50-50. Yeah, Excellent. Now, all I need is someone who would like to go in the volcano and get eaten by gods. Any hands? Hands, anybody? Okay, I need someone, perhaps, who has never found love. Who could look death straight in the eyeball? A real genuine hero. I'll do it. Melvin? Hurry up, before we all come to our senses. There we go. That is King Julian. Um, 
providing water. For the, um, that's from the, um, the film Madagascar, or Madagascar 2. I'm not entirely sure, but they're all brilliant. You should watch them. Um, but what has... This is kind of a, very similar to our Christian theology, I think, on some levels, or at least uh, similar to some of the conversations I have, some of our understanding of, of what God demands. And what's this all got to do with the food bank, the debt advice centre, and the farm, and running kids' groups, running the coffee shop? What's it got to do with Thursday night? There's a quiz in the hub I'll be hosting. Be there, 7, 7.30. Not entirely sure of the timings. I should do. But what's all that got to do with... How is that consistent with this? This kind of message of that we need a sacrifice. This um, picture, do you know who this is? This is before there were photographs, so this is a very quick rendering of an artist who was on the scene. This is... Abraham and his son Isaac, who doesn't look particularly happy there. This is an interesting story, one that we kind of go, oh yes, it's a story about how God tested um, Abraham and Abraham passed the test. And we'll go, oh, that's a great story of great faith. But actually, if you just think about the story a little bit more, if you think about the character of Abraham, this is out of character. This is odd. There's more stuff going on here. You might not know that Abraham was scared of losing his wife, Sarah, so he lied about who she was because she was a real hottie, and he thought that the king might take her away and kill him. So he lied. He said, she's my sister. He did that twice. So he's not, a, he's not really a man of faith. This is the guy who slept with his wife's um, servant, maidservant, Hagar, and had a son because he, he was giving up. He didn't have faith that God was going to give him a son. That's not a, a man of faith. And this is the man when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom. He stands up to God and he petitions him and he says, no, you can't do that. It's not fair. There's no justice there. So why, when God says to Abraham, I want you to set your alarm clock early in the morning and we're going to have a bit of a, uh, oh, that's Charles Heston. Not there yet. Um, Why, when God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac, is he like, right, let's go, let's do it. No questions asked. He just does it. And not only does he just do it, he knows how to do it. These things are interesting to me, and I wonder why. I would suggest, well, in fact, we now know, that throughout the region of Ur, where um, Abraham came from, human sacrifice was a regular practice. It was learnt behaviour. This is what he knew. If you want to honour the gods... If you want to say thank you for what you have or petition the gods for, for water or for whatever it was, you sacrificed. And in Ur, where Abraham was coming from, human sacrifice was a common practice. So was this a revelation of God or was this learnt practice and assumed this is what God demands? I'll just leave that question for you hanging. Here is Charles Heston um, acting as... Moses, um, Moses, who um, followed on, he, was, he came around 500-ish years after, maybe between five and 800 years after um, Abram. And, and Moses led the, the kingdom of Israel out of Egypt, and he's kind of like the guy who really got Israel and Judaism started. He kind of picked it up and got some good structures in there. He, and, and it was him, really, who developed the Old Covenant. We, we refer to it as the Old Covenant now because we have the New Covenant, but at the time it was just, hey, we've got a covenant. But covenants were not new. There were other religions who had covenants. Um, this was discovered just a few years ago. This is the great temple at Tel Megiddo. 
And this was a vast, this is a huge, um, a huge temple. This, is actually, this was around hundreds of years before Moses, but it was just outside Jerusalem. And here, they sacrificed loads of animals. So there's a tradition for the stuff that Moses developed as well. And this guy, I'll have to read you about um, this guy. This guy is called Nabu, and he was hungry. This is, this is a Mesopotamian god. And check out what his diet was every day. This is what he demanded. One fattened bull. That's just for kind of breakfast. Then he had 16 long-fleeced sheep. None of those short-fleeced sheep. I'll light the fleece on, please. He liked various types of birds. Bandicoot rats. I don't know what they are. Fish. Abundant vegetables. Um, delicacies from the garden. Rudy fruits. Produce of the orchard. Dates and dillman dates. White figs. They have to be white. Raisins, beer, and wine. And that was the covenant. That was the covenant with Nabu. So the covenant with Yahweh, where he, he says, you know, I, I need sacrifice. This is not new. It was not new. It was simply, we're trying to understand God through the context of our, our setting. Theology is essentially trying to understand God in, through our language and through our context, through our, our society. We use popular metaphors. That's what the job of theology is. If you're explaining God outside of those metaphors, it doesn't make sense. We have to use language. When I tell my wife, Ruth, um, that I love her, love is just this funny word, isn't it? It doesn't actually mean anything. But it's imbued with meaning, and she can relate to that. But if you break it down... What do I mean? Do I, I love her? It's just a word. It ha, it, there is so much more depth to it. It's not just, I love you. It's, I would lay down my life for you. You're my everything. You're, you're the person I'm willing to get up for early in the morning and the person I'll stay up late with. I'll hold your hair. I shouldn't say this in public, but I will. I've held her hair back when she's been puking. That's what love is. It's not just this strange word. It has to mean something. And so we use language that, that resonates. And that is, I think, essentially what was happening um, in, in early Judaism. They're trying to figure out, if Yahweh is God, then what do we offer him? We offer him the finest cuts of meat because that's what you do, you sacrifice. And then along came Jesus, years later. And Jesus lived this radical life. And this is what I would like to talk about a little bit. He lived a, this amazing life, this life where he, he constantly laid his own life down. So I think that even a week or, or just a few days before he paid that ultimate sacrifice, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was crying and he was anxious because he knew that the net was closing in on him, he knew that he had riled the wrong people. At that point, he could have stood up and said, I'm sorry. I'll take a step back. I'm with you guys, the powers that be. He could have stepped back. But had he done that, love would have failed, wouldn't it? Because love is when you put the other person first. As soon as you put your position before someone else's, that's it, game over, the end of love. And so he went the whole way and said, no, this is about love. I'm showing you a different way of living. And he reconciled. Judaism, um, or people who follow Judaism, and indeed the whole of humanity to God. He showed them this is what God requires. 
in the, um, in the, the reading um, about coffee um, that Danielle read to us, it, um, Jesus says, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean when God says, I don't require sacrifice, I, I require mercy? It means it's that way of living, and Jesus showed it, didn't he? And the story that goes before it, when Jesus was including people who had absolutely no right to, to eat with a rabbi, let alone the Messiah, he broadens, he broadens the circle, the inner circle. He draws them in. So Jesus rewrites this, this idea of inclusion. And then people who try to figure out what was going on, we have to use popular metaphor. We have to use language which, which is understood. So when Jesus, the, the night before, he's, it, it all you know, kicks off and he's murdered, he says, this is a new covenant for you. This is a new deal. So everyone knew. I get, I, we know what the covenant is. We have the covenant. The covenant is we provide God with enough dead animals and we can atone for our sins, all the stuff we do wrong. That's the covenant. It's pretty good, really, because God can be appeased. But Jesus is essentially saying, no, that's wrong. I've got a new way. And so he's saying, this is a new covenant. And the new covenant is, I'm laying down my life for you. So he uses contemporary metaphor, contemporary language, contemporary imagery to explain that. But I think that 2,000 years on, I want to tease this. I'm not suggesting this is in, I've got it all right, but I think it's worth exploring and looking at. 2,000 years on, has that metaphor broken down a little bit? When we say that Jesus is a sacrifice given to us or we're saved by the blood of the Lamb, has it lost some of its potency? And you're all saying, no, 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 because we're in church. We sing about this almost every week. Well, when was the last time anyone here considered slaughtering a goat or a lamb? or even a cat, just, just in case that Jesus wasn't the last sacrifice. No one. You're, you're playing a risky game, guys. The truth is we have left that sacrificial system far, far behind. We don't belong to that. And therefore, when we talk about Jesus being the last sacrifice and being saved by his blood, I wonder whether we need a slightly new metaphor. Now, I'm not saying that we should... We should not refer to that because Jesus refers to that and there's a rich tradition. So this series where we've been looking at these big questions, why do we do these things? It's not to be cynical or dismissive. It's to try and better understand these traditions that we have. We're part of a rich tradition. And communion and the language around Jesus being a sacrifice and this, this ultimate expression of love is rich and I'm not saying we should get rid of it, but if we want to share the truth of that, then I'd I believe that we need a new metaphor. And I think that we can start again from the beginning. Because in the beginning, God created light. This is the first, you know, the first poem in Genesis 1. First of all, he he designs light and he says, that's pretty good. Then Then he separates the land from water. He designs it so, and he says, that's good. Then he designs all the plants, the trees, and he says, that's good. He designs the sun and the moon. This is a poem 
It's another metaphor. It's not the order by which God did things. Because you can't really have day lights on the first day without these guys. But he designs, it's saying, God designed it all. God designed the sun and the moon. And he said, that's flipping good. He designed the birds and the fish. And he said, that's good. He designed every animal that walks on the land. And he said, they're good. And then he designed people, man and woman, equal, made at the same time, which was revolutionary. Because up until that point, no one had ever said all people are equal before. He designed man and woman equal. And he said, that's very good. So then back to Jesus, because he continues in this same thread. He continues in, God saw this, he made it, and it was good. And God loved, I think Jesus loved him the same way. He continued to lay his life down for the very least of us. For the, the prostitute who was on the edge, the tax collectors who weren't included, He stood up against the powers that would be because he wanted to express this truth. Then in 13.8 billion years and the close to infinite vastness of space, there has never been someone quite like the person you're sat next to. That's, That's entirely true. Why don't you look at the person just quickly so it's not awkward. Look at the person next to you. In 13.8 billion years and the vastness of space across it, there has never been anyone like you. And just on that truth, you can begin to understand, I think God might have been right. You are pretty awesome. That's the truth of it. So here's the challenge. What's our new metaphor going to be? If God really does love creation and say it's good and we know we know hey it's good there are awesome things in it but we also know that at times it's really tough the question is how can we express that truth and my my suggestion is that we do that through all of the things which I mentioned earlier through the farm and through the schools through debt advice through this new credit union through the food bank through the quiz on Thursday night, through the coffee shop, through the schools, through the work with St. Tom's. All of those things are simply an expression of, do you know what? God is for you. And I can see the goodness in you that God saw and said, you're flipping good, you're very good. And it starts with a coffee, and I'll tell you why. Or it can start with, I'll let you off, you can have a tea, or you can even have a squash if you fancy a cold drink. But it starts with the coffee because we cannot preach this. You can't preach it. You can't stand up and tell someone, hey, God loves you. You can't write it down and send a note, though it it might help. You have to sit down with someone. I've done this twice already today. I've walked past someone and I've said, how are you? (laughs) Then I've kind of gone on. And and once someone said it to me and I thought, oh, no, I I should answer. So I I said, oh, you know, um," and I started and they were gone. (laughs) But we should never ask, how are you stood up or walking? You should always sit down because how are you stood up will always be met with, yeah, good, thanks, fine. Or if someone's in a particularly honest mood and moment, they might even say, "Uh, yeah, okay, but you will never, ever get more. But we, I think, if we love people, if we're committed to the life that Jesus said, Jesus said, I'm the way. He said, love 
this way, love like me. If we're committed to that, then we have to sit with people. We have to go slow. We have to have a drink. We have to get to know people because it's only then that you can show them true love. And it's only then that we can begin to know and learn about the challenges that they follow. This, uh, in closing, this is not a watering down of anything. This is raising the stakes. Because oops, Jesus, I don't think, was someone who's, he was like, bam, final solution, it's all done. Jesus modelled the most challenging life that I've ever read about. And we know it's challenging because it eventually cost him everything. And the, and the challenge to us is, are we prepared to do the same? Are we prepared to sit with the least and to work these troubles out? We come to church every most Sundays and we sing songs and that's great. And we pray, sometimes with meaning, we cross all these things off. We fast, whoops, not, not very often. You know, we, we have these criteria that we as Christians must do. But if we're serious about following Jesus, about being Christians, about loving the least, about standing up against these powers, whatever they may be, the NRA, whatever it is, all the corruption, it starts with the coffee and it starts with getting to know someone and serving them. So that is why I think we have coffee. That is why, oops, we've lost this. <laughs> That's why our new metaphor might just be, let's drink coffee. Let me pray. Um, and then I think the band are going to come up. Father, I thank you that you have taught us great truths in language and metaphor that we can understand. And that from the beginnings of this journey with Abram, you taught him something new. You began to whisper, I don't require sacrifice, I require mercy because I'm a God who loves. And we want to hold on to that rich tradition that teaches us so many splendid things. But we also want to be people who are um, not afraid to be challenged. We want to be people who think about how we share the same truth with the people around us. So my prayer this morning is that I would no longer be someone who stands and walks and asks, how are you? But I would be challenged to be someone who sits with people and says, how are you? That I'd be prepared to journey with people and love in the same way that you loved people, which was to get to know them, get to know the issues and work through them. Would you continue to challenge us? Would we continue to challenge each other? Thank you for this ultimate truth that you are a God who is for us. And the very first chapter of it all says, you looked down and you said, that's damn good.